Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Listeners of Nighttime, tonight's episode, we're going to be revisiting a past story and catching up with one of Nighttime's most memorable guests. But this isn't going to be your typical update episode. This is going to be a wild one. In fact, when preparing this episode, the thought occurred to me that this is probably the most Nighttime podcast episode of all. So many elements of what makes a story suitable for this show seem to have suddenly converged and combined themselves into, well, into a mess. It all starts back in February of this year. I found myself connecting with a very nice lady from Ontario named Candace, who was having a bit of a problem. Well, I suppose Candace was having two problems. The first was that strange lights and bizarre objects were appearing over her home nearly every night. And the second problem was that she didn't know how to get the photos and the videos of said objects off of her phone and onto her computer. So I offered to help her with both issues. The photo part, that was a breeze. After a couple of minutes of tech support, Candace was able to share her photos in the UFOs Above Canada Facebook group. The supernatural problem, however, the best I could do was offer her a platform to share her unusual story of reoccurring UFO sightings. The platform, of course, was an episode of Nighttime called Who or What Keeps Appearing Above Candace and Onagate. In that episode, I spoke to Candace and her then-friend Onagate about what they'd been dealing with, and I assumed that was the end of it as far as Nighttime was concerned. But six months after releasing that original episode, I woke up to a flurry of emails, messages, notifications, and even some Google alerts, all referencing my past episode with the UFO experiencers from Ontario. But these messages weren't at all about UFOs. Instead, they referenced disturbing allegations being made against my past guest, Anagate, a man who had introduced himself to me as a deeply spiritual indigenous man who followed a traditional and natural way of life. Well, based on what a newly released CBC investigation into the man known as Anagate revealed, he's been keeping a whole lot of secrets. We'll get into those secrets shortly, but needless to say, I sent a message to Candace and I invited her to again join me on the show to tell me what the heck has been happening over the last six months. Now this is where it gets even more interesting. Candace agreed to share the story of Anagate's lies and the resulting betrayal, But just like when we first connected, she was having a problem. As it turns out, Candace isn't in Canada. She's in the Central American country of Belize, dealing with a family emergency. The situation that brought her to Belize, however, wasn't paranormal, but it's almost equally unbelievable. What Candace hadn't told me when we first spoke is that her daughter is an internationally known socialite who had married into one of the richest families in the world the Ashcrofts. And what does that have to do with Belize? Well, that's where it gets complicated again. Candace's daughter, Jasmine Harton, was recently arrested in Belize and charged in the shooting death of one of the country's top cops. And to make matters worse, Jasmine and Andrew Ashcroft's relationship just ended and it is an ugly breakup. 
The kind of ugly that seems only possible when one side of the relationship is a billionaire and the other side is Candace's daughter. So yeah, this episode is going to cover a lot of ground. So let's not waste any more time and get right into it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we are again going to be joined by frequent UFO experiencer Candace. And our topic is the story of Candace and Anagate, but more specifically, a story of lies, betrayal, cultural appropriation, a shooting death, the Ashcrofts, and of course UFOs. When we first talked, I think it was about six months ago, at that point, your life was taken over by strange sightings of unexplained objects above yourself and your then partner, Anagate. So let me just start by asking this. It was almost nightly sightings that you were seeing these things and photographing them. Has that changed? I caused it to change. I had contacted you for help, if you recall, and I was beginning to feel Hmm. very overwhelmed. Um, Things progressed. I moved from the country, and I actually thought when I moved to the city that I wouldn't see them anymore, but they followed me, and they're nightly. Every night, I could go out and see them, and I I took pictures in the city as well, and it started getting a little scary for me because... I really was hoping I had written numerous uh, well-known people who talk about UFOs, like all kinds of people. Um, And I was feeling overwhelmed. And then I think it was in March, my daughter from Africa uh, flew to Canada and joined me in my house. And she saw it too. And at this point, this particular night uh, really hit me. They sent me a picture of a heart, a perfect heart, and then a picture of themselves, three, three of them in the picture. And they're, and they're, look, to me, they look demonic. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't huh. escape that feeling in my gut that there was something not quite right. In the meantime, mm-hmm. I had contacted, I don't know if you've ever heard of Reverend uh, Bill Bean. He consistently said to me, that he felt they were chariots of, of God. But my, in myself, I was feeling very uncomfortable. And then um, my granddaughter joined me. And she saw them. I, well, we came home one night, and the star, the star, quote unquote, was way up higher than usual. And I said, oh, there it is. It's up there. And she said, well, can you take pictures then? And I said, I looked at it, and I said, kind of, annoyed almost I said to it um, if you want me to take pictures of you you're going to have to come a lot closer than that and I went in the house and as she's standing outside the thing dropped down about three miles <laughs> of course I went out and took pictures but then what started to happen is my other daughter who was visiting swears on her life that she, two gray alien beings were at my front door and she said one was inside my house looking through the blinds and the other was on the outside of the door. And she was so scared that she didn't want to come back to visit me. Wow. And I thought to myself, okay, this is really, I just didn't know what to do. I'd asked for so much help. So many people, I was hoping to get some sort of direction guidance. And so what happened was 
Reverend Bean always said that if they're if they're crafts that are negative energy, rebuke them in the in the name of the Lord. And at being a, a woman of faith, I do embrace that spiritual side. And uh, so I walked out. I was finally sick of it, but I walked outside and I looked at him, and I said, "You know what? If you're of the light, I welcome you. But if you're of the darkness, I said in the name of Christ." Be gone. And I rebuked them. They left. Wow. They left. And how long ago was this that, that this happened? It was last April. Yeah. And since then, since did you have have you had any sightings or, or did you believe that this stopped it? Oh, I see them all the time. Mm-hmm. Even here in Belize. I, I feel like I'm so trained now I can look up. Oh yeah, there's one. There's one. And in conversation with um, different people here, I'll, I'll say, watch this, and I'll take a picture. And I'll say, look at this. And it's the same thing. It's the cube. It, um, it's the same thing. It's just, I, and so now I just feel like, I know what you are. I know what you're doing there. I don't know why you're here. Um, I see them all the time, and I just try to make people aware that they're there, and they're watching us. What their intentions are, I don't know. But I do know that that one experience I had when I said to them, rebuke them, and they left, to me, that was pretty powerful. Yeah, in terms of it, it implying that they had ill intentions and that it was a like a dark force? A dark, a dark entity, dark entity, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that brings me to the big up, the, the next big update in your story, the idea of possibly these being some kind of dark forces. Because when we last spoke, you were joined by Anagate at the point when we last spoke six months ago, you, it was a positive situation that you were both in, but a whole lot has changed since yeah. then. So maybe why don't you talk me through what led to Anagate not being with you tonight for this interview? How did this happen? Um, the time that we were at the lake and for the entire time that I've known him, which is only probably two years altogether. Our relationship was as friends, just as friends. But when I met Anagat, the man that he presented himself to be was a spiritual leader, um, a person of unity that had no prejudice against anyone. I respected him highly for that and learned a lot, I thought, from him. However, when we moved to the city, as soon as we got back to the city, he started to act strange. And his stories weren't jiving. He'd tell me all these stories about in, in, in reference to his life and time, but the, the story started to interlap so that the time didn't make sense. And you know, when a person lies, a lie doesn't flow. A lie is jagged. And that's what I started to see is this over and over again, and I started questioning him. And then one day, um, we had a, he's not supposed to be able to read or write. And he told me he was illiterate. And so all, forever, I was helping him with his banking, his bills, um, everything. I was helping with everything. And then one day, he was watching, the TV was on, and it was a foreign language and had uh, subtitles in English. And he read it. He read it and understood the subtitles. And I thought, he can read. He can read. 
And I thought, that's something really funny. Well, then one day I came home and he was drinking and um, with a friend. He brought this lady in my house. <laughs> this is bizarre, but I might as well tell it. And the lady um, purportedly was said to me that she was a witch. <laughs> and she stood in my kitchen and said to me, you know, most people are afraid of me because of all the uh, power that I have. And I'm, in the meantime, Anagate knows my faith and he knows what I think of that. And yet he brought this woman into my house and he was drunk and he's doing drugs and all this stuff. And then he started lying to other people about me and making out like I was some kind of a jealous girlfriend. And it was shocking. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. believe. Then he started, it's just the inconsistencies and it grew to a point where it was absolutely scary for me. He actually was frightening me now. Mm -hmm. And I changed the locks on the door illegally huh. because I, I, I was scared. He, I was scared. Like he wasn't, I was scared. What is he going to do? What is he going to bring home? I was not trusting him at all. Mm -hmm. Well, soon after that, a very close friend of mine contacted me and said to me, there's something you need to see. And all she said to me was Google his name. And I Googled it. And there I found it on a, a Twitter page where he's been saying for years that Anagati was a fake. And he had posted an RCMP police report on the website. I got a copy of that report and showed it to a friend. A fr this friend showed it to some other people, see if it was valid. And it turned out it was. And the next thing we knew, it was posted on Facebook under Canada Creep Watcher. And that came out. Mm. Well, even so, um, the indigenous population, he had them so convinced that it was all a lie and that he's just a victim of slander that nobody believed me. Nobody, I was shunned everywhere I went uh, by everybody and treated horribly, to be honest. Then, as you, the CBC contacted me to say they were investigating him. And as you know, the, um, the report came out on the news, what, two days ago, mm -hmm. um, about his fake indigenous roots, that he's a white guy, he never was a native. What you're about to hear is an excerpt of a conversation Anagate's brother had with a CBC journalist. I would not allow somebody that's not truly Indigenous to, to take away from a true Indigenous person. He says he was a survivor of the 60s scoop. Absolutely not. No way. He says he escaped from boarding school authorities and was hidden and educated by his grandfather for 17 years. Our grandfather died when I was May, probably one or, or maybe I wasn't even born then. <laughs> so that scratches out on my mom's side. And as my father's side, we had absolutely nothing to do with him. So which grandfather is he talking about? Yeah, Anagade is not his, his name. It was, he had a very 
Forrest Blanchard. You see, he told me that he was taken at five years old in, by the 60s scoop and that they nailed his feet to the floor and that he suffered an incredible torture and all this kind of stuff. He told me that his wife was dead and that he was, he, he, he and he told me all these stories and it turns out he's got, a, um, I found out today, actually, just today, he has a wife. She's still alive in Canada. And, and yet he apparently married this other woman in Minnesota. Um, I mean, there's just so many things com coming out. And then I was so surprised to see on the police report that he actually had sexual assault charges. Hmm. His, his police, um, that police report you're talking about, I, I saw that as well. And it's, it's not your typical police report. It's sexual assault, violent crime, breaking and right? like, it's a scary. Yeah. It was really scary. I mean, I mean, the first thing I thought was, Oh my God, I'm so lucky that nothing happened to me because I was alone with him for months, months. And I was just shocked when that report came out of ladies started to come forward. Um, actually on online and I read some of their testimonies and one lady said that he deducted her when she was 17 off the street and then another lady came out with a, a similar story but it happened to her in Kingston when the um, some of the indigenous spiritual leaders had handed her over to Onagate as a spiritual leader to help her and he'd attacked her as well and she was too ashamed to tell anybody wow so he managed to also convince some indigenous, like actual indigenous people were convinced by him yes. in some aspect, it seems. Yeah. What? And I've also saw he like won awards for indigenous arts from like a university. Yeah. He, um, he told me that he worked at the university teaching native language. Um, he received grants through the government. I don't know how much money they paid out, but whatever it was, um, and so he used this fake front life to get himself ahead. He always portrays himself as this poor, poor victim. And he'd get everyone feeling sorry for him. And I felt sorry for him too. I, he had me convinced that everyone was just against him. And, you know, he used, he used my heart. The, his claims of indigenous heritage, the CBC article makes it sound like that that isn't true at least according to his family do, do you know if he he actually has any indigenous like blood or, or background do you do you know anything about the end result of that i don't i um, i only know what everybody else knows what i've read um the claims that he has mm -hmm. no roots whatsoever um he has introduced mm -hmm. me in kingston he introduced me to uh, a lady who he told me was his sister and she's indigenous Maybe that's not even true. I don't know what's true anymore. <laughs> wow. But when you knew him, you, in your mind, he was an indigenous man who was brought up in that culture. Yes. And he told me. Uh, Without any question. Yeah. And he told me he'd lived in the bush and hid for years. And um, he told me that his wife was dead, uh, that he was looking for a new wife. Um, just all kinds of things like that. And then today I find out he has a wife that's wow. still alive. That was yeah, shocking wow, to read. Shocking. I read that myself today. I, I, I'm mm. still processing it, to be honest. I'm still processing. Yeah. And mm. then, I can only imagine, you know, he, and it's so disappointing because, you know, you wish people well and 
for instance, he has a coloring book he's done because he is a good artist. And this was an indigenous coloring book called, uh, I forget the name of what it is, but they, I read today on Facebook, they've removed all his books now. I'm sure that this has affected so many people, so many people that put so much trust in him. What do you think his motivation was? Like when you hear the story of somebody who has this fake identity and they're appropriating the different cultures, like I would expect he, it's the kind of story where he was trying to get money from you and stuff, but it doesn't sound like that was the case. It sounds like if anything, you were just kind of looking after him. Yeah. And actually he was very generous he, with his money. He, what, he didn't try to do that with me. If anything though, just this play, this role he was playing mm-hmm. to get sympathy to, I just don't, I, I actually don't even understand, to be honest. I, I can't understand that mind work. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. And when I read the CBC article, it's, um, there's not really much room for debate because they, they managed to get in touch with his family who are like, no, no, like we weren't affected by the 60s scoop. That's, that's a, like a very easy lie to uncover. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I don't Absolutely. know. I mean, I watched that myself just today while listening to the brother, his brother talking um, about their family. And how, I, it makes you wonder how he thought he could get away with this. And the only other thing I can think is he's maybe he's extremely mentally ill. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. So, it's just bizarre. Yeah. So you had told me about the, uh, that you changed the locks, you separated yourself from him knowing that it was, you know, either on safe or pretty close to it. How did he react when you confronted him to like Anagate? Like, I, like, what is the story with all, like, this doesn't add up. What is the story? He wouldn't look me in the eye. He would not talk to me one to one. Instead, he went to his circle of people that um, he had gathered around him, this particular circle of people, and they were indigenous people, and had them convinced that I'm the wicked witch of the West. And, and I eventually, I said to him, they don't know, do they? You've hid that from them. You've hid that. And so he plays these roles wherever he goes. He twists it to his advantage, whatever his intention is. So did redemption come in the form of this CBC article or was it, is that what it took to show them? For me, redemption came when I saw the RCMP report. Mm-hmm. And then I did a little research myself, easily found his high school picture, which means he could read and write all along. Because if he could, it was just too much to understand how a person could act this way and why. Why? I, li- I was with him alone for months and I listened to all his stories. But then the stories started to interlap and they didn't make sense. And so I'd question him and then he wouldn't have an answer for that. And so my flag started to go up a little bit. I started saying, huh, there's something fishy here. There's something going on here. And that was when it all started to happen. Wow. Now, one part of the story that he couldn't have faked is when you both became close is when the yeah. UFOs appeared or when the, when the objects you saw appeared, like, how does the, it's such a two crazy things to stick together. Does your bad experience with 
Anagate or whatever his name is affect the connection you have with well, whatever's above? Like, how do you put all this together? What I'm wondering, after I rebuked them and, and they left, I then started thinking about it. And I wondered if he is just so evil that he, his energy brought that. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just speculating. I don't understand anything mm -hmm. more than anybody else on this planet. You know, I can only speculate that that energy, was it him? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you that since mm -hmm. he's been out of my life, um, the peace I have inside, I, I, there, there's no turmoil. There's no problems. There's no anxiety anymore, which I found that there was a lot of that mm -hmm. when we were together because I was always constantly helping him with problems and uh, his own life, you know. So I find that it was a lesson for me, a big lesson. They haven't gone away. Anagate is a whole bag of fraud and complicated lies. Here's the next big update. So we're talking now with you and you are in Belize, uh, as opposed to Ontario or Hawaii, where you typically spend your winters. This is this whole other complicated situation. Why are you, tell me why you were in Belize. What brings you there? My daughter is Jasmine Harton and she, her spouse was Andrew Ashcroft, who's the son of Lord Michael Ashcroft. A part of my life I don't tell a lot of people about. Um, Mm -hmm. I lived a very normal, quiet life in Kingston. Um, but what no one knew is, although my daughter's a multimillionaire, um, I didn't expect her to just shower me with money all the time. That, but she was the, she's the kind of daughter, for instance, when I needed a car, she threw me $5,000. Go buy a car, Mom. I want that car? Sure, have that car. You need this or that? She always has been there for me. And um, mm -hmm. when... On May the 28th, she had a horrible accident. Uh, her friend, the superintendent, Jamal, was having personal problems. And she invited him to San Pedro in Belize, on the island where she lived, in Ambergris Key. And she gave him a suite in her hotel. Her um, establishment was called the Grand Colony. And that night, they'd all gone out and socialized. But he'd been drinking all day. And it was uh, midnight or close to midnight when they walked out the back door of the estate and there's a pier right in the backyard. And they sat there and he was, because she'd had some problems in the past with people um, trying to hurt her, he felt that she needed to protect herself. And so he was showing her this gun and he had neglected to check the chamber. Oh. And so he's showing her, telling her how to put the pieces in and the gun went off and he was shot in the head. She herself tried to resuscitate him. She called the police for help. She called everyone for help and they came and then she was arrested and um, in a lot of trouble. And so when I received the phone call from her, uh, when she got out, they, they had her in Hattieville Prison. 
and I received, they, she got out, I got a phone call and all she said was, Mom, I need you. I need you with me. And I was on the next plane. And, I, and I've been wow. here to support her, to help her through all of this. This morning, socialite Jasmine Harton is out on bail on the charge of manslaughter by negligence after the death of one of Belize's top cops, Henry Jamont. Harton is the longtime partner of Andrew Ashcroft, the son of British billionaire Lord Michael Ashcroft. The family recently opened a new upscale hotel in Belize. In court, the prosecution telling the judge Harton admitted she had been drinking when Jamont handed her his gun and asked her to practice unloading it. That's when prosecutors say she told police the gun went off accidentally, hitting the father of five behind his right ear. Jamat's body was found in the water nearby. The judge ordering Harton to pay the equivalent of just under 15,000 US dollars, surrender her passport, and keep to a strict curfew. So just to end, to understand how complicated it is, your daughter's in a country where her ex is one of the most powerful people of one of the most powerful families. I've read news reports where it seems like a lot of people are worried about your daughter being in that country because of the, the influence her ex and his family have. They basically own the entire country. And in this country, money buys loyalty. Mm -hmm. Before, and she realized the family was distancing themselves from her rather than supporting and that's been the issue mm -hmm. that we're facing we i'm sure people have seen um we went to see the children um i brought gifts from canada i wanted to see the grandchildren and so we went to san pedro to see them and walked up to her establishment where her own security barred her from going in her own security and she's saying what is wrong with you people at this point um, Andrew showed up and we were saying to Andrew, what's, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What, what's going on? She just wants to go into her own apartment and get some personal belongings because she had nothing. And she wanted to see her baby. And he, he barred us from that. And the officer standing there, I looked them right in the eye and I said to them, do your job. My daughter is asking you to escort her to her apartment to gather her personal belongings. And they looked at me and smirked and refused to move because they were under orders not to. And in, in the way it's set up now, she can't be in Canada waiting trial. She, you're stuck in Belize and you're going to stand by her there. No matter what. I, I had no idea your connection to, to your daughter or to this story. I had read about it in passing and it wasn't until you mentioned it to me. I was, I, I'm for, I was like, this can't be, but <laughs> your, your daughter's described as like um, for people who don't, don't know, she's described as simply a socialite, the way you would describe like, you know, maybe Paris Hilton or something. What, like, what is your, how did your daughter end up in this position? Well, it's, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's almost like a fairy tale story. But um, first of all, and I've brought this to many people's attention because that really bothered me. They're calling her white privileged socialite. I mean, have you seen me? I'm not, I'm dark. And uh, in fact, I look like a Belizean. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and she's not white privileged. We were poor growing up. She was poor. We lived on a farm. I mean, we lived in places where our, 
it, it froze on the inside of the walls and we'd wake up with our hair frozen to the wall. I mean, we grew up like, she grew up like that. And so when she uh, finished high school and moved to Calgary, I think she was in Calgary at the time, my other son who was living in Belize invited her to go there, to go there and learn real estate. And she did. And she learned real estate. And through real estate transactions, she met Andrew Ashcroft. And that's how it began. <laughs> okay. And he and people like in Canada, they wouldn't know who Andrew Ashcroft is, but how like maybe could you find like a Canadian comparison to like how his family is seen in, in that country? Or or would we even have one? I don't even think so. Would it maybe be like the Trumps before Donald Trump was president? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Something of that, just a family that's connected to everything. Everything. Um, I mean, his father, Andrew's father, is involved in the UK uh, Parliament. Reportedly, um, he helped fund uh, David Cameron into power in, in England. You know, I mean, the, this is a level that I'm not familiar with. I'm just an ordinary person. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea even how these people think, although I am learning since I've been here, how they think it's been quite an education. Well, uh, let me ask this, Candace, over the last year, your life has become completely bonkers. Did you see any of this coming? <laughs> no. Like what, how, like what <laughs> led to, you need to write a book or something like this. Cause there, there's just so much going on. How do you manage such strange Three these three things combined, any one of them as more than the average person could handle. Yeah, when you think about it, <laughs> UFOs, Anagade, the Ashcroft. Um, I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else can you do? I mean, you just take, yeah. you, you try to just go with the flow. You try to, I try to stay uh, balanced mentally and logical and and reasonably, and you just go with the flow. That's it. Wow. You know, honestly, it's just been insane. And of the three stories, the objects in the sky are still with you. Anagate is out of your life. That seems to be behind you. Your daughter's situation, that looks like that may still stretch up out for some time. Is there a certain, like, is there like a trial date or any time that you're looking forward to in, in her story? Um, it's been very difficult. Uh trying to find a lawyer uh, uh, for instance uh, he's uh, kept the children from away from her under Belizean law the law here is if even if you're an unwed mother on the beach your children are your the woman however he has seemed to convince certain uh, people in authority to allow him to have the children and he, he won't even allow her to make to phone them anymore with now he's told her that if she wants to talk to them on the phone she needs to get a court order for that i mean it's just been nasty mean and we still haven't talked to him we, we even the uh, police here have said to us why wouldn't you two act like two grown adults and just very quietly discreetly have your breakup and let her have her things and you know have her children and why are you doing this? And we've said to the, even to the police, we don't know why. We just don't understand. Um, the other problem we're having is finding a family lawyer. 
to represent her to try to get the children back. You know, we've approached maybe eight lawyers in this in this country, and not one of them will take her on. I can only imagine when you say her name and who the case involves. I'm sure they're like, actually, I'm busy. Right, every one of them, every mm-hmm. one of them. So we have reached out to um, a lawyer in Canada. And we're really hoping that she will help us. We're really hoping. Okay. Well, I'll be rooting for you as will the listeners for you and your daughter Thank you. and her children. Thank you. Um, so we'll wrap it up there, but I appreciate so much of your time and for sharing your, what started as one incredible story has now turned into just such a complicated mess that is <sighs> disturbing on Anagade's side. And just it disturbing in a different way on your daughter's side. Yeah. Uh, I hope I just hope there's um some kind something happens there because it's it's a horrible situation. And to have anyone kept away from their kids is um it's painful. Cruel. It's painful. I don't know if you could see over my shoulder. Oh yeah. That's mine. That's mine sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, uh, I don't like to be more than 10 feet away from mine. So I can only imagine your daughter feels the same way. Oh, it, it, you know, they're only four. They're four years old. Oh. And um, each time we've seen them, we've had two visits now because uh, court ordered visits mm-hmm. where um, Andrew said that she's allowed to see them between nine and three on a Saturday. And uh, when they do come, we have it on video where they're saying, Mommy, we love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't understand. That's... They don't understand. And it's so hard. Once they leave, we sit and cry. We cry our eyes out. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. That's heartbreaking. I want to thank you for joining Candace and I for one of the busiest conversations in my recent memory. Candace clearly has a lot going on, and although some may roll her eyes at her UFO experiences, they are, they are profound to her and clearly provide meaningful interactions with her spirituality. Her relationship with Anagate, her relationship with Morris Blanchard, that's something altogether different, and I hope he gets whatever help it is he needs. And as far as Candace's daughter, Jasmine Harton's situation, that's just an utter mess. I can only hope the truth comes out and her children are well cared for. And with that, I'll end this episode of Nighttime, but before we part, I have to give some thanks. First, I want to thank Candace for sharing her stranger-than-fiction story with us. Next, a big shout-out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Mary, Mora, and Naiza, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to help support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episodes across social media and letting your like-minded friends know about what we're doing here. 
If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, find me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So that's it. Until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. What you're about to hear is an excerpt of a conversation Anagate's brother had with a CBC journalist.